0: So as we continue our series, or actually conclude our series today, the handwriting is on the wall. You can see the sub-theme there, that the Lord's kingdom will not be destroyed. Uh, The way we're going to start, though, today is we're going to say the Lord's Prayer, except we're not just going to rattle through it like we often do without thinking about the meanings of it. Uh, But I am going to say it petition by petition, part by part, and I'm going to ask you to do this, to visualize each petition, What does that look like to you? If you want to close your eyes, you can. I'm not going to come and uh, do anything to you, but so if that helps you concentrate. So we'll just go through and say each part of the Lord's Prayer and, and picture what this looks like in your mind. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. All right, you can open your eyes if you... All right, no excuse to sleep the rest of the time. What did you envision? We probably had some neat pictures going on in our mind just saying that common prayer. I can barely, I can't, whenever I do that exercise, I, anytime I come to the fourth petition, when give us this day our daily bread, I think of this picture that hung in my parents' kitchen. Maybe you have, you've seen that one. Or, or when we maybe pray, lead us not into temptation, Maybe we think of way back in the Garden of Eden, that snake and the forbidden fruit uh, that he was holding out there for for Adam and Eve to eat. What were you thinking? I'd really be curious what you were thinking, though, when we got to that last phrase, uh, that we say the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. We call that the doxology or the word of praise. It'd be fantastical to, to maybe get what your your pictures look like. I, I think that'd be neat if I could sketch it all out here and, or maybe hand you a book. Yep, this is what Light of the Valleys people think when they get to each petition of the Lord's Prayer. But when it comes to that one, maybe that one's not as easy to always put into a picture, uh, but about 550 years before Jesus even taught this prayer to his disciples, there's a section of God's Word that I think really pictures what's going on here. Like I said, it's about five hundred and fifty years beforehand. It's it's the scene of of Daniel and the and the pictures that God uses in a vision to Daniel are probably more imaginative or creative than anything that you and I could come up with. And you're always you're always welcome to follow along. If you bring your own Bible or if you want to pull out your phones, we're gonna be looking at Daniel chapter seven today. Uh, we're going to be looking just at two verses, but kind of the context of all the verses, always feel welcome to, to open your Bibles or, or take a look at that. But it starts off in Daniel 7. So again, Daniel is getting a dream. And, and it starts off that there are four beasts coming up out of the sea. So what does that look like to you? What, what pictures did you just paint? Again, it's probably not quite as creative or as imaginative as, as the vision that God painted for Daniel. Because the first, the first beast that comes up out of the sea is a lion. But not just a lion. No, this is a lion with eagle's wings. And then the eagle's wings gets ripped off and the lion stands up like a human and gets a human mind. You probably didn't picture that. Or the second beast is this, this bear that's kind of leaning over to one side and has three ribs in its mouth. The, the third vi- beast that comes up out of the sea is a four, four-headed, four-winged leopard. And the fourth beast that comes up out of the sea is a ten-horned, iron-toothed beast. And eventually, in his dream, they all lose, get stripped of their authority. And the, the last one, the iron teeth. One, that one gets slain and thrown into a blazing fire. Now, could you imagine having a dream like that? If you wake up and you're Daniel, what do you say? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? Um, But you know, in one of the greatest understatements of the Bible, I think, when when Daniel gets up, he says, yeah, I was kind of disturbed. Kind of disturbed by the vision." You think? Yes, he'd be very disturbed if that's what you saw. And yet he doesn't have to wait very long before God reveals to him what his dream meant. The, he says this represents four kingdoms. You're going to see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, stripped of their authority. And, <clears throat> and it, it seems to, this doesn't lay this out in scripture by name necessarily, but it seems to f- be that the four kingdoms, the four beasts represent these four kingdoms. Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and Rome. And where we are right now at the time of this vision is just about the transition between kingdom number one and kingdom number two, between Babylon and Persia. That's when Daniel was living. And, and if, you were, if you were with us two weeks ago, uh, we saw uh, the guy who saw the handwriting on the wall. His name was Belshazzar and he was told, help, your days are numbered, and that very night he died, and Persia took over. That's the guy who, if you look at Daniel chapter 7, the very first verse says, Belshazzar's on the throne. So it's the last king of Persia. We're just about to transition. And right about now we're saying, who cares, right? What, what's up with the history lesson? What do we need this for? What can we learn from this divine vision today? And that's, that it, to, in order to help us, uh, apply it to ourselves. I think it's important for us or helpful for us to put ourselves into the shoes of Daniel. Who is Daniel? Daniel, again, lived in the, about 550 years before Jesus. And he lived in this city of Jerusalem, capital city of Israel, uh, cultural center, social center, religious center. Everything happened at Jerusalem. And, and then about what happened is that this, this empire the east started to gain some traction and the babylonians came over and they seized jerusalem but they didn't just siege the city and and wipe everybody out they said oh no there's there's some something that we can glean from these people so they kind of surveyed the people and said we're going to take the brightest and the best back to babylon to help our country and daniel was a teenager at the time they they saw potential in him they said all right daniel's going now, the, maybe that sounds somewhat attractive to teens here because, oh, I can't wait to get out of the house, right? Can't wait to get away from mom and dad. <clears throat> but imagine imagine being whisked away to Russia or to Bulgaria or to India, and you're, you're taken away from your home, you're taken away from your family, never to see them again, you're taken away from your Xbox, you're taken away from your girlfriend. I mean, you are gone. No communication. That's Daniel. And he gets placed, he gets a job, he gets assigned a job to work for the Babylonian government, to work for the king, which maybe sounds exciting, kind of interesting. And he gets this job, his task is to interpret dreams and visions that the king has. Again, maybe sounds kind of exciting, until the king has a dream that maybe isn't such good news, and you have to tell him the bad news, knowing that he can chop your head off uh, if he wants to. And so... He, Daniel's got a lot of sweaty palm moments and heart-pounding moments as, as he has to fulfill this job. He has to tell Nebuchadnezzar, yep, you're going to go insane. And or, a couple weeks ago, you know, he had to tell Belshazzar, yeah, the handwriting on the wall says, your days are numbered. Well, today, he gets this other vision. But this vision that he sees is not a king's vision that he has to interpret. No, God gives him this vision for his eyes only. And and, and what was God basically saying? He said, Danny, you've seen a lot of transitions already in life. You've seen your kingdom conquered by the Babylonians, and Babylonians are soon to be conquered, and this is going to keep happening. That there is going to be rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. Always this power shift. Nothing steady in life. You know, and that's, that's really where we can start to relate to this account. That we may or may not see world powers go up and down, but this idea of things constantly changing and not a whole, <clears throat> whole lot of certainty in our life, I mean, that, that applies to us, doesn't it? where one day you're, you're maybe up on the mountaintop, where everything is growing well. Marriage is great, school is great, health is great. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, <clears throat> you're in the valleys where relationships aren't great or work isn't great or health isn't great. And, and we have all these twists and turns and ups and downs, you know, Kind of reminded of that last week we hosted a Surviving the Holidays uh, workshop here. And we watched about a 40 minute video <clears throat> to go along with that presentation. And there was a, a woman that was on the video who recently lost her husband. She was celebrating her first Christmas without her husband. And her husband always would give her a piece of jewelry every year. And so what she did, she said, okay. Now that my husband is in here, she told the jeweler, can you make me a special ring? I'm not going to look at it. You surprise me <laughs> to kind of depict what I'm going through. And the jeweler made a, a ring that had all these twists and turns made out of gold kind of, to demonstrate the, the roller coasters, the roller coaster of grief. And, and really, that's, that's life. That's what Daniel is going through. And that's what people who are grieving are going through, but it's, it's not just them. I mean, you, you think so much of life is up and down, twists and turns. And how do we handle that? How do we handle the changes? How do we handle the uncertainties? How do we handle when beasts come up out of the, the water and want to overcome us? How do we slay? those beasts, and throw them into the fire, as Daniel saw? The answer? We don't. We can't. Emphasis being on we. We can't do that. But someone can. And to help answer that question, let's look again at this vision that God gives to Daniel. Yeah, You know, Daniel 7 it has all these fantastical pictures that I think we can get caught up in. Oh, man, look at those animals, those winged and four-headed animals and all those t- type of things. And, and it's got very powerful uh, imagery. But l- l- let's take a little bit closer look at what God says after he sees the vision. It says, in my, after he sees the, the beasts, in my vision at night I looked... And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." In my vision, I saw one like a son of man. You know who that is? That's Jesus. Uh, That is, if you, over 80 times in the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 80 times Jesus is referred to as son of man, pointing back to these pictures. In fact, you might say son of man was the reason why Jesus got killed. Because when he was being held on trial at that kangaroo court on good, early in the, in the wee hours of Good Friday morning, there he is, he's standing before the high priest who charges him under oath, tell us, are you the son of God? And you know what Jesus answered? He said, I tell you the truth, you will see the son of man coming on clouds of heaven. And the, and the priest rips his robe and he says, oh, I can't believe you just said that, you know? No more witnesses needed. Boom, he's guilty, Gavel down, worthy of death. Why? Why was it such a big deal for Jesus to acknowledge or to call himself, yeah, I'm the son of man? Well, look at what the son of man has here. The son of man who has authority, glory, power, dominion that Jesus was saying, yeah, I am, I am God. I have all authority, not you. I have, I have all dominion, I have all power. And while, while that was punishable by death, according to the Sanhedrin, is there anything more that gives us confidence to live as we go forward? When you think of all the certainties and or rather uncertainties of life to know that Jesus is the one in control to know that Jesus has all power authority dominion and glory at his disposal you know when you think of this this truth this this is what allows us to forge forward even though our life is filled with twists and turns it is this truth that, that smooths things out even though our lives are maybe filled with mountains and valleys. To be able to go ahead with that confidence, you, know, you can fall asleep at night and you don't have to wake up and say, oh, I'm so disturbed. But you can be distur- undisturbed every night because of this truth. That Jesus, Jesus the one who became like a son of man, to live and to die so that you could become a son or daughter of God, it's that Jesus who has all control at his disposal. And he does it for you. That is what gives us comfort. That is what gives us certainty when it comes to the changes and the shifts of life. You know, and there's, there's just another thing, though, here that, that I think is worth pointing out as far as this, this vision, that it's not just so much that, that Jesus has power, glory, dominion, and, and all these fantastical things. You know, I, I think you look at a vision like this, and you can get caught up in the imagery, or you can get caught up in those powerful-sounding words. And yet there's a little bit more comfort even to be gleaned from a a normal-sounding word, a not-real-exciting word, and that's the little word, never. Never. When I take uh, young couples, or it doesn't have to be young, when I take couples through pre-marriage counseling, uh, and we go through, okay, let's talk about communication, and one of the things we always walk through is to try to eliminate the word never from your vocabulary. Because it is such an exaggerative word. You know, you're never home on time. Oh, actually I was home, I just was late three out of the seven days last week. You know, I'm, that means I'm batting over, you know, I'm batting 571. I, I, uh, you know, so, but, but you know, it makes things bigger than what they are. You never put the car seat back to the, where I sit when you borrow my car. You never say I love you, you never help me with this, you never say that. And, it, and so never usually makes things worse. But here, this never is no exaggeration. This never doesn't make things worse. It makes things better. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Think about what that means for you. Especially when you consider all the changes of what you see as ruling in your life. When you feel like you're on shifting sand and you don't have any control. You know, I started, I started off by having you guys close your eyes. And maybe I would just ask you to close your eyes again and, and think about what are the things in your life right now that you're not so certain about? What do you feel you don't have control over? And as you're picturing those things on one side of your brain, see Jesus sitting on his throne on the other side. You know, you can open your eyes if you want, but I don't know the beasts that you will face or are facing in your life. Maybe you don't either. And I don't know what beasts are coming up in the future. But we do know this. They cannot stand. They cannot stand before the one who sits on the throne, who has all authority, all power, all glory, all dominion. Oh yes, challenges, challenges and uncertainties will continue to rise. But I assure you, they will fall. They always fall before the one who rose so that you and I will never fall. In the end, Jesus wins. And so, yes, we can confidently pray and say the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. And to that, let all God's people say, amen. And may the peace of God that that truth gives you, that your Savior, the one who li- loves you so much that he lived and died for you, that he sits on the throne Forever and ever. May that peace which transcends all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. In response today, we're going.